Welcome to another episode of a special podcast we like to call From the Archives. These are hand-picked sermons and sermon series preached in our church over the years by some of the pastors, elders and special guests we've had the privilege of listening to. We hope and we pray that as we listen to these classic messages, we'll be challenged in our walk with Jesus and encouraged to trust in him more and more. That being said, let's dive into the episode. Welcome to another episode of From the Archives, and we are still in Psalm 119. Our old pastor, Jonathan Thomas, helping us understand, basically, more about the Bible. This week, we're thinking about the idea of having confidence in the Bible. So much of what we've seen already and what we're going to see depends on us trusting the Bible and having confidence in it. So this is really a sermon about authority, perhaps, Um, and where we ground ourselves and where we base our trust on the Bible. Now, John is going to use some pretty long words to describe this. Theologians have come up with some pretty interesting words. Um, But if that isn't your bag, then feel free just to ignore those words, because what he's talking about is really simple. He's grounding it in the idea of um, the Trinity, uh, who God is, his very nature. And so you'll totally be able to understand what's going on if you just go along with them anyway. Okay, I've said enough. I will shut up and I'll hand you over to John. Everything we've preached over the last month boils down to one issue. Whether you believe it really is the word of God. Whether it has the authority to do that. Because if you don't trust in the Bible as the authoritative word of God, you will never be able to experience those things. Now, when it comes to the Bible, I think there's a number of reasons why we can struggle with the authority of the Bible. And one is conscience. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think in our mind, that's not right. My mind tells me something else is right. Or sometimes we think that perhaps the things that happened, like the life of Jesus, by the time they were written down, they were changed. Or perhaps they were written down properly, but they were corrupted over time. They've been added to. They've been edited. Some of us read the Bible and say, oh, well, it's cultural. It was a book written in its time, in a place of its time. And so what I need to do now is look at my culture, which is obviously far better, and I need to change the culture. Some of us just find the Bible confusing, and we look at all the denominations and all the arguments and just think, well, there can't be any real meaning there because in the end, we all disagree. Or finally, some of us have struggles with the canon, the choice of books in the Bible, and we wonder whether all of the books are the books um, that should be there. For whatever reason, all of us at some point will have some kind of struggle with whether the Bible, to one degree or another, is the authoritative word of God. Well, Psalm 119 is clear. Let me just show you two verses. Have a look at verse 42. Verse 42, the psalmist says this, Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. And then in verse 42, just before, he says, For I trust in your word. He trusts in the word. Or have a look at verse 142. 142. Your righteousness is everlasting and your law is true. So do you see the two words? He trusts in the Bible and it's true. He trusts that the Bible is true. Again, one of the things I need you to understand is we're not obsessed about the mechanics of the Bible as opposed to the message of the Bible. The message is the covenant, the gospel, which is recorded in the mechanics of the Bible. And when we come to the Bible, we come not to be amazed by the mechanics of it, but by the message of it. 
But without the right mechanics, you can't have the message. Let me give you an example. Imagine, uh, I always use the example of a text message, and I'll keep this illustration running through the series. Uh, imagine, uh, gents, that your wife sends you a text message. And in the text message, she says, I love you. Well, that will affect your heart. The mechanics is the text message. But what truly affects your heart is the messenger and the message. It's your wife. But if you didn't have the phone to receive the text message, you couldn't be affected by it. But then what happens if you get the text message and your mind, because you're a little bit, you know, insecure, gentlemen, you go, I wonder if autocorrect changed that. I wonder if she meant to write, I like you. And actually, it just automatically changed to, I love you. And then you wonder, I wonder if this is one of her friends who have picked up the phone and have sent me a message just as a joke. I don't know why your friend would do that, um, but they've done that. And then you start to wonder, was it truly from her? Am I reading this text correctly? You've got to know that the number it comes from is truly from your wife. And you've got to know that the message that are there is truly right. Because unless you trust in the mechanics of the message, you'll never enjoy the message. And it's exactly the same with the Bible. The only way we can hear from God is through his word. This is the only thing we have to test anything by. And if we can't trust in the mechanics of the Bible, then we can't enjoy the message of the Bible. And so today, I want to zoom in on one section um, that begins in verse 89, Psalm 119, verse 89. And I want to give you a sermon on the authority of Scripture, which will be different probably from any other sermon you've ever heard on the authority of Scripture. I'm going to take a very different route to the one you've heard before. So uh, beginning in verse 89 to the end of the section. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me. For I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection, I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Do you notice that? Verse 89, how it starts. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. And the last verse, verse 96, to all perfection, I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Verses 89 to 91 show us that God's word is 100% authoritative. Do you see how he links God's spoken word, his covenant, to God's creation work? So just as God spoke the creation into being, and so you can see the creation, and you knew he created it, the word is equally as powerful and as authoritative. Just as the heavens are there, so is God's word. Eugene Peterson in the message gets it so right when he translates verse 89, what you say goes God and stays as permanent as the heavens. For the Christian, the covenant of God revealed in the Bible is as sure as the creation around us. As firm as the ground is beneath you, mine isn't that firm up on this stage it seems, but as firm as the earth is, is as firm as the word of God is. And if you do not believe that, you will never be able to say, as with the psalmists, verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. We need to trust 
in the Word of God to hear the message of God. Because when we come to the Bible, as sure as creation, we see the surety of God's covenant, that He loves us, that He is for us, and that He wants to save us. The Bible is far more sure than anything else in the world. It is the ultimate court of authority. When we bury saints, when we go to the funeral, when we go to the graveside, we always quote 1 Peter 1, which is quoting Isaiah 40, which says this, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Trusting in the authority of Scripture is everything. Um, Kevin DeYoung says this, um, which is going to come up on the screen. There is no more authoritative declaration than the one we find in the Word of God. No firmer ground to stand on. No more final argument can be spoken after Scripture has spoken. The Bible is our ultimate authority. Beware of those who say it's not. Because what they mean by inference is they are your ultimate authority. They're very arrogant people. They say, oh, you can't trust the Bible, but I know what is true. Oh, you can't be certain, but I know what you can doubt. They don't say it like that, but that is exactly what they're saying. Listen to me, to my judgments, to my conscience. It is firmer than creation. It is firmer than the covenant. And it drives people into disaster. It brings upon them severe spiritual depression. Verse 92 to 95 shows us what the life of the saint is like with the word. 92 again. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my afflictions. I will never forget your prefects, your precepts. By them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. Do you see? In our darkest days, in our most difficult circumstances, we need to know that the Bible is true. Not just the mechanics, but the message. How will I ever know that God will never leave me nor forsake me unless I trust in his word? How will I know he'll never give up on me unless I read through Genesis and see time after time after time people falling shorter and shorter and shorter, yet God loving them and loving them and loving them because of his covenant promises? If I don't trust in the scripture, I struggle with that. This week I've been reading an excellent book which um, I'm probably going to buy about 40 or 50 copies of and try and sell them as cheap as I can. I'm saying that publicly so the elders can't stop me. Um, it's an amazing book, probably the best book I've read on, on depression. It's a short book and it looks at the life of Spurgeon. Spurgeon was the great Baptist preacher, first kind of mega church pastor. Um, and one of the things I think we probably all know is that Spurgeon suffered terribly from depression. Um, the depression happened for a number of reasons, but one of the main reasons was when he was 22 years old, he was the pastor of a mega church. He'd got married 10 months before and now had two uh, newborn babies, twins. Um, and he was preaching one day. And whilst he was preaching to this mega church, some people came to cause trouble. And so they shouted out, Fire! The balcony's falling! And a stampede began, and from his pulpit, he watched as seven people were killed and 28 were seriously injured. Didn't leave his house for a week. Having watched the people die under his preaching, he had what we would term today post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, years later, when he was preaching in the Baptist assembly, he had a panic attack as he stood up and saw the people again. 
Um, it drove him away from the scriptures because as those of you who have suffered depression know, the ability to read when you're severely depressed is incredibly difficult. The next time he stood up to preach, he just had to say at the start of the sermon, I've been unable to prepare. I just pray God help me through this sermon today. And so actually when you read through the ministry of Spurgeon, you read some of the most beautiful, some of the most helpful, some of the most encouraging teaching on depression, both physical, mental, and spiritual. And the book looks at this. It's excellent. I'll buy loads of them to sell. Let me just give you a couple of quotes from Spurgeon who suffered throughout his life with depression. Here's the first one. An ointment for every wound, a cordial for every faintness, a remedy for every disease. Blessed is he who is well skilled in heavenly pharmacy and knows how to lay hold on the healing virtues of the promises of God. See, that's what scripture is. It's the promises of God. It is our compass when we don't know where to go. It is our satnav when we need direction. Later, Spurgeon said this, which will come up on screen. When worn with pain until the brain has become dazed and the reason well nigh extinguished, a sweet text has whispered to us its heart-cheering assurance. An outpour struggling mind has reposed upon the bosom of God. God wants us to come to him and to trust in him by his word. Not the mechanics of it, but the message. Whilst we say we love the Bible, we love the Bible because through it, with the Holy Spirit indwelt in us, we love the Lord. Someone very helpfully pointed out to me this week, and it was so helpful, that perhaps last time I preached a similar message, I made it sound as if as soon as you read the Bible, you will be okay. Um, And I apologize for that. That is not what I intended to suggest. Um, But that is most definitely what came across. And so perhaps some of you have gone away and gone to the Word and haven't felt anything. Can I just say that when the word is our refuge and when it is our strength, for many of us that does not happen immediately. It is medicine and like many medicines, it takes time for the medicine to work. And sometimes what we find in the scriptures is not what we were looking for. It's something completely different that makes no sense to us. Like Naaman in the Old Testament, when he wants to be healed, And Elisha says, well, go and wash seven times in the Jordan. He goes, what? But what we need to do, be it as a story on sections or as a verse memorized or a scripture sung, we need to come and to trust and to say to God, God, show me wonders in your word. Help me to trust in this. And I believe over time, God will. May not be straight away. May not be in how we expect it or understand it. But God will meet with us through his, his word. Some of you this morning are struggling. I want to say that in the scriptures, you will find hope. And God will meet with you. Be it read or remembered, public or private. I would say keep going with it. Do you remember? We made the distinction. We want to be like Jacob who wrestled with God. Didn't box him and say stay away. We need to understand that this Bible is the firm ground. This Bible is as certain as the heavens are in the skies. Everything else will give way. Look again at the last verse, verse 96. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands, your covenant are boundless. Loved ones who we trust will go. Governments will topple. 
Philosophies will come in and out of fashion. History will be rewritten by the victors. And science will change with further discoveries. But the word of God will stand sure forever. We need to trust in the true word. It is completely perfect. But some of you are still asking, but how can I believe that? And what I want to do this morning is encourage you that you can believe in the Bible. And you've probably read books and you've probably heard sermons on how we can believe in the authority of the Bible. What I want to do today is shift the focus. Um, For those of you who want to know my basis for this, very often we defend the Bible by looking at the doctrine of Scripture. So I'd come here and teach the doctrine of Scripture. Or I would look at archaeology. Or I would look at manuscript evidence. Or I would look at extra-biblical history. I want to say that I'm increasingly convinced that the answer to trusting in the authority of Scripture lies in the doctrine of God. Let me put that in layman's terms. If you want to trust in the Bible, look to God himself. It's in what we believe about God that we end up believing in the Bible. And if you say, well, what about archaeology and what about history and what about all of that? Well, I'm going to ask you, what is your ultimate authority? Whatever you rest your argument on is your ultimate authority. You see, I could come today and show you lots of stuff about archaeology, and then you go, I believe in the Bible now. They found the pool of Siloam. Must be true. But what happens if someone finds out, oh, that really wasn't the pool of Siloam? Oh, well, I can't believe the Bible now. So what's your ultimate authority? Archaeology. So our ultimate authority needs to be God himself. So three points. And what I'm going to do, you're going to be very excited by this. I'm going to give you a Trinitarian defense for the authority of Scripture. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this before the kids come. A Trinitarian defense for the authority of Scripture, which I'm very excited by. And I don't know if you are, but you're probably just laughing that I'm excited by it. Here's the first point this morning. The Father speaks verbally and desires for that to be recorded verbatim. So, God speaks. This is vital. You can't believe in the authority of the Bible unless you believe God speaks. We have a God who not only is there, but is not silent. He speaks. And this is amazing. We see him in the garden. He comes and he speaks. He gives his commands. He gives his covenant. He even goes on to give the curses. But he speaks. And God's words are an extension of him. Just as our text messages are an extension of us, and how you respond to the text message is how you respond to the person, so too with God. How you respond to his verbal words is how you respond to him. But there's a problem. When it comes to God's verbal words, we don't believe him. Do you remember? Did God really say? Well, I think he said something like that. And we make it more harsh and we make it more difficult. Well, he only said, don't eat that, but I think he said, don't touch it. And we start to change the word of God. And so it was very important for God not only to have verbal words, but to have his verbal words, which are an extension of him, written down verbatim, written down for him. So that you could check the words. Because if God's words were ever only used verbally and recorded orally, then no matter how good that tradition is, at some point it could be changed and corrupted. And so God wanted it written down verbally. And so the the verbatim words of God are equal in authority. Have a look at Deuteronomy 18, just as an example. Deuteronomy says this, The Lord said to me, 
What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you among the fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I commanded him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. What, is we, what are we learning there? God can speak through other people. And... How you respond to those words is how you respond to God. And the prophets come, and in the Old Testament, they write down their words. You have the spoken prophets in the history books, and then the written prophets in the last third of the Old Testament. It's so important to see that the the authority of the Bible starts with the doctrine of God. Do you believe God speaks? If you believe God speaks, do you believe God is able to have his words written down? That is the basis for your belief in the Bible. It comes down to who God is and what God is able to do. But whilst God does that in the Old Testament, how does Hebrews 1 start? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So secondly, let's go to the Son. The Son, the next point, gives authority to the Old Testament, his own words, and other New Testament writers. Jesus is clear. Let me read for you John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 49 to 50 says this. For I did not speak on my own, Jesus says, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So, whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus came and said, whatever I say is what the Father says. Jesus believed his words to be as authoritative as God the Father's words in the Old Testament. They are the same. Andrew Wilson helpfully says this, I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. Whilst it's God the Father that makes the Bible possible, it's God the Son who gives us proof. So I'll read that again. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. When you come and read the life of Jesus and the words of Jesus, you come away and have to believe in the authority of the Bible unless you don't believe in the authority of Jesus. So what did Jesus say about the Bible? Well, he said lots. Let's go to a passage you know really well. Where are we going to go to learn about Jesus' view of the Bible? The temptation. Let's turn to Matthew 4. Have a look at Matthew 4. Um, Matthew 4 is a great um, passage, the Lord Jesus coming, standing as the new Adam, standing as the new Israel, succeeding where Adam failed, succeeding where Israel failed on our behalf. And in Matthew chapter 4, uh, we have the temptation of Jesus. Uh, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the first thing Jesus believed about the Bible. The Bible is sufficient. The Bible is what you need, and it is all you need. You don't just live on bread You live on the word. Do you remember how the psalmist in Psalm 119 refers to the Bible? It is like honey to the lips. It is like honey to the lips. He needed the Bible more than he needed food. Isn't that amazing? That is how sufficient the Bible is. The Bible is all I need. If I have nothing else, yet I have the word of God, 
Because in the mechanics of the Bible, I see the message of God and I meet with God. It is enough. So the devil takes him on. Says, oh, the Bible's enough, is it? Let's have a game of Bible quotes. And so, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, you'll throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What is Jesus teaching us here about the Bible? The Bible is clear. Satan is misquoting the Bible. Jesus doesn't go, oh, that's an interesting, valid interpretation. I do like the fact that meaning is within the reader and not with the writer. Aren't we lucky we're all postmodern pluralists? He doesn't go that at all. He goes, no, look at the context. It's pretty simple. What God says is what he means, and this is it, and there is a clear meaning. For Jesus, there is clarity in Scripture. Now, we are sinners, and so we bring a whole host of problems to the clarity of Scripture, because we have our own agendas. But Jesus believed in the clarity of Scripture, that you could understand it. You could understand it. So Satan takes on another tack. And then he says this. Verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What is Jesus doing there? Jesus is showing that his ultimate authority is in Scripture. He says, well, this is what the Bible says. And if the Bible says it, that settles it. The Bible is our final authority. The question is, where would Jesus have been in the wilderness if he didn't have the Bible? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Jesus didn't have the Bible. Where would you have been in the wilderness? We believe in the necessity of Scripture, that we need the Bible. Imagine life without the Bible. How would you know anything of God? Even if God spoke verbally, if it wasn't written down, how would you know what God was saying? How would you build your life on it? God, in his mercy, has designed and ordained in his providence that the words would be written down. One of the things I find fascinating with uh, Matthew 4 is, do you notice where all of Jesus' quotes come from? They all come from Deuteronomy. And I often wonder, and this is just a, a, a wonder, I'm not preaching this as authoritative. I often wonder, was that his quiet time in the wilderness? Was he meditating on Deuteronomy? Or actually, was this a section that he had memorized? And because he memorized, he knew it. Because Jesus loved the word and Jesus learned the word, he was able to bring the word. It's interesting, um, for those of you who want to learn these things, um, you can actually remember these, they're called the attributes of scripture, for those of you who are interested, um, and you can remember it by scan, sufficiency, clear, authoritative, and necessary. Um, that, for those of you who are interested in such things, I stole that from Kevin uh, DeYoung, but it's helpful to know that the scriptures are sufficient, they're all we need, they are clear, um, there's a, a perspicuity, we can see what it means, they are authoritative, they are what we need, and they are final, but as well they are necessary. Without the scriptures, we have nothing. Jesus trusted in the Bible, and he trusted in the Old Testament, the exact same Old Testament as we have. The exact same Old Testament as we have. 
And so Jesus shows us the authority in the Old Testament in how he uses it and how he trusts in it. For example, in Luke 11, he talks about from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, showing us the sweep of the Old Testament um, and so forth and so on. But Jesus not only looked to the Old Testament, he also looked to his own words. Do you remember when he looks at the Old Testament in Matthew 5 and says, you've heard it said, but I say? The quote earlier on from John Jesus saw his own words as being equal with Old Testament scripture. In fact, his words were the ones that interpreted Old Testament scripture. He is the authority of the Bible. And what did he say in the Great Commission? Go forth, baptize, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Jesus believed in the authority of the Old Testament, and he believed in the authority of his own words, and he believed in the authority of the apostles. John 16, he gives the apostles authority Acts 9, he meets the apostle Paul and gives him authority. Even the apostles amongst themselves believed in their authority. I haven't got time to cover this today. 2 Peter 3, 15. Um, This is always a helpful one. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with wisdom that God gave him. Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking of them in these matters. His letter contains some things which are hard to understand. Would you agree? Paul's letters do contain some things which are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction, uh, to their own destruction. So let me be clear. Um, I think you can sum up Jesus' teaching on the Bible from John chapter 10, verse 35, which is this. Uh, Very clear, the scripture cannot be broken. Scripture cannot be broken. Can I just do a quick book plug? Um, We've got a pile of copies of these. It's a small book by a great guy called Andrew Wilson, called Unbreakable, which basically looks at what Jesus believed about the Bible and how it's Jesus who gives us the trust in the Bible. Um, And so the authority of Scripture comes from Jesus. Uh, I take a Trinitarian view. He takes a Jesus view, um, but his fits into mine. So uh, you can, uh, well worth it, and we're selling them for £2 today. Um, So well worth buying um, and reading. Very, very easy and very uh, short. So the Father makes it possible... The Son gives us proof, but here's the question. That was 2,000 years ago. What about over time? Well, if it's a Trinitarian defense of the authority of Scripture, where am I going next? The Holy Spirit. Third point. The Spirit inspires, illuminates, protects, and gives inner testimony. Easy. What I mean is this. We know the Holy Spirit inspires Scripture. 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21 says, no prophet just made it up. But the Holy Spirit moved him. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God breathed. It is the breath of God, the spirit of God. And we know and we've learned that the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds so that we can understand the spirit, uh, understand the scriptures. But there's two things I want to point out this morning which are so helpful. The first one is this. Is that I believe that the Holy Spirit has protected the Bible. Providentially, the Holy Spirit has protected the Bible, just as the Spirit was able to make sure that God's verbal revelation was written down verbatim. I also believe that the Holy Spirit, through providence, has made sure that what we have in our Bible today is the authoritative Word of God. Now, some people are going now. Ah, no, Jonathan, you're wrong here because there's lots of manuscripts. Yes, and that's why I believe it. No, 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 because there's differences in them. Yes, there are, and that's why I believe it. Confused now, aren't you? We don't have the original autographs, okay? We don't have the original Bible. The Bible didn't just arrive in a plume of smoke, and there we have the original one. And ever since we've copied it, um, the Bible was written down over many, many years on different countries and different languages. 
But over the years, many, many copies have been made. In fact, the Bible has more copies um, than any other historic work of worth in antiquity. It is unbelievable. There are hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of copies of certain parts of the Bible. And so when you're trying to find out if something is true or whether it is accurate, it is much easier than going and finding one copy and thinking, I hope this is right, when you can find 250 copies. Because now you can look at the 250 copies and see, are they all the same? Now, there are some differences between all of those copies, which is far more than 250, but they're all small words. They're all little linking words and things like that. Um, there's nothing of central doctrine. It's not as if half the copies say God is love and the other half say God hates you. It's nothing like that. It's not as if half the copies say Jesus died to pay for your sins and the other half says work out your salvation and do it on your own without grace. They're just little linking words. And the amazing thing is, with all of this textual evidence, you can actually see the authority of Scripture. Now, I haven't got time to get into textual criticism this morning, um, but I would encourage you, look up um, the Ravi Zacharias Trust online, check out um, Amy or Ewing, um, any of those kind of people, and they will really help you on that, but I haven't got uh, time. Um, Timothy Ward puts it like this. Although in some places in Scripture still Doubt remains over the precise wording of the original text. No teaching of any significance depends on such disputed texts. And that, to me, shows the work of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, over years, has protected Scripture. We have to believe in the doctrine of God, that God speaks, and that he wants us to hear his voice. If we believe that God speaks and God is sovereign, then we can believe that God has had his words written down and they have been protected, and we can look at the textual criticism, all the manuscripts, to see if that is true. That is not blind faith, I'm just going to believe it. That is looking at the doctrine of God, of who he is, and looking at the manuscripts themselves. But, but here's the other thing I want you to know about the, the Holy Spirit, and I really am coming to a close now. Um, the Holy Spirit gives inner testimony. This is, I think, the ultimate proof for the authority of Scripture. Uh, let me read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones for you. Dr. Martin says this in his book, Authority. No man can truly believe in and submit himself to the authority of Scriptures except as a result of the testimonium spiritus internum. You don't have to know Latin. I don't know Latin. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Testimonium, testimony, spiritus, spiritus, and internum, internal. You see, when you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. And the Holy Spirit does many, many things. He's a seal. He's a guarantee of our inheritance, a foretaste. He teaches us to say, Abba, Father. He gives us groans when we don't know what to say. He sheds God's love abroad in our heart. But as well, when we read the scriptures, in our heart we go, oh, that's the voice of God. That's the voice of God. You will only ever know and truly trust in the authority of Scripture when you experience God in the Bible. I can give you all the external arguments, but the question is, in your heart, in your heart, have you experienced him? Do you know him? You will still struggle with questions. You will still wonder about specific books. Even Calvin called James a right strawy epistle. You will wonder about manuscripts and words and did Jesus really write in the sand or not and should we be able to pick scorpions up and all those kind of questions if you want to keep yourself up at night. But in the end, in our heart, we will know 
No matter what we think about the mechanicalism of the Bible, the message is true. God loves me and he will never leave me. And he sent Jesus to die for me. And that is firmer than the ground beneath my feet. That is as firm as the heavens in the sky. 1 Corinthians 2 puts it like this. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. In the end, it is the internal, the internal experience. I can give you all the evidence. I can give you all the theology. We could do hours and hours on the manuscripts and on the historicity and all the external evidence. We could look at the history of the canon. We can do all of that. But in the end, well, how would God put it? I think God would put it like this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In the end, you can look at a chair and you can do all the tests you want. But you're only going to know if it'll hold your weight by sitting on it. In the end, with the scriptures, you can look at all the evidence you want. But you'll only ever know if you trust and try it. For some of you this morning, you aren't Christians yet. You're on a journey of faith. And you still have questions. Do you know what? That's okay. But I would say a point comes where you just have to trust. You have to, like the man who came to Jesus, say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And you know what? As you give yourself to God, he will reveal himself to you. Until you come to him, you won't know guaranteed. But then the Holy Spirit comes, and through his word, he will show himself to you. Some of you this morning are struggling as Christians. You're struggling. Can I trust in you? Can I trust in your word? There are so many issues I have with your word. I would say just keep Keep reading it in a prayerful manner. Say, God, speak to me through your word. I want to hear your voice. And the Spirit, the Spirit will show you. He will reveal himself to you. So, the Father makes it possible. The Son gives us proof. And the Spirit preserves it both physically and in our hearts. We need to taste that the Lord is good. How does the message put it? What you say goes, God and stays as permanent as the heaven. Well, that's it for another episode of our From the Archives podcast. We hope that you found it challenging and encouraging. And as always, we'd like to offer you a few quick next steps that you can take right now. If there's anything that you'd like to discuss or any questions that have been raised, please do contact us via email to contact at amfordchurch.com. If you want to know more about what's going on in the life of the church, make sure that you like us on Facebook. And lastly, why not check us out on YouTube, where you'll find additional teaching to complement our regular sermon podcast and our From the Archives podcast. Thanks for listening.